morning. Uh, I was I was thinking after I baptized Lily, the first time that I baptized someone, it was it was one of our youth. This was probably four years ago. Uh, um, we went back and watched the video after, and I held this poor girl underwater <laughs> for like a solid six seconds, which might not sound long if you're prepared for it, but if you're not expecting it, and there's like you're just being held under. So Lily, I hope that you know it was okay and that you got some air quickly. Um, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 4 today. Genesis chapter 4. I'm using the, uh, the Pew Bible that's in front of you if you want to follow along there. This is on page 3. Genesis chapter 4, we'll look at verses 1 through 16 this morning. Now I'll read the passage for us, we'll say a prayer and we'll work through it together. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. The man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering some of his firstborn of his flock, and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. The Lord said, Cain, why are you furious, and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? Then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood that you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. But Cain answered the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear, since you are banishing me from the face of the earth, and I must hide from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord replied to him, In that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain, said that whoever found him would not kill him. Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's say a prayer. My Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this day. Thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord. I pray that you would turn our hearts towards you in this moment as we learn your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. So really, uh, as you know, because I just read it, a sad and dark story uh, that we're looking at this morning with really a sad and dark ending. Uh, but I promise you, with, with any passage that we have in Scripture, there's always hope. Uh, the story that we're looking at this morning, it heavily involves two things that I want us to think about. It involves unfaithful worship, and it involves jealousy. And so I want all of us to be honest with ourselves this morning about where there might be unfaithful worship in our lives and where there's jealousy in our lives. So Genesis 4, it presents us with some sibling rivalry. As we can see, there's jealousy there's anger, and if you're a parent of multiple children like myself, you probably get all three of those knocked out before breakfast. 
right? And as I said, jealousy, this is a root issue in the passage, clearly with Cain towards his brother. And the more that I've thought on this passage uh, this week, the more that I've come to realize jealousy, it's rooted in our flesh deeply, and it's rooted in our flesh early. If I were to come home to Alice and Jane, these are my two daughters. Alice is four, Jane uh, is one and a half. If I were to come home to them, and I were to put them in an empty room, and I were to leave one toy on the ground, and just let things unfold naturally. What do you think is going to happen? We, we would have a modern-day twist on Genesis chapter 4. Someone would get the toy, the other would get jealous, then there would be anger, and then someone would get hurt. We, we hear that, and we think about it, and we laugh at it because it's kids, and it, it is funny, but there's adults who do the exact same thing. Have you seen the videos, the Black Friday videos, of people like in Walmart physically fighting over stuff, this actually happens. That jealous mindset, the idea of, I should have this, you shouldn't have this, I deserve this, you don't. Why should you have this instead of me? What makes you so special? I'm special too. I did the right thing. I should have some glory too. That kind of thinking, it's not something that you grow out of when you turn seven. In fact, I, I think it gets more deeply rooted as time goes on. It doesn't pop in overnight. It's ingrained in us. It's taught. It's learned, and if it's not addressed, jealousy festers, it spreads, it consumes us, and then someone's going to get hurt. As I mentioned, this passage, it also deals with unfaithful worship. We see Cain go to God and worship, but his worship is rejected. And part of what we're going to learn together this morning is that God-honoring worship, it's more than just showing up and looking the part. So let's work through the story. Verses 1 through 5. The man was intimate with Eve, and she conceived, and she gave birth to Cain. <clears throat> she said, I've had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of the flocks, but Cain, he worked the ground. And in the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel presented uh, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not regard Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. So Adam and Eve, they, they have their first son together, Cain, and if you're familiar with Genesis chapter 3, the chapter right before this, after Adam and Eve sinned, God promised Adam and Eve, he said, the seed of the woman would crush the head of Satan. And God never clarified that that person, Jesus, wasn't going to come for thousands of years later, so it's not too crazy to think Eve likely believed Cain was going to be that seed. God promises a son that's going to crush the head of Satan, and Eve has a son. So, and at some point, she's likely believing this is going to be Cain. Adam and Eve, they have their second son, Abel, and Abel was a shepherd, Cain was a farmer, and there's nothing wrong with either one of these life paths in this story. I think that's important that that's addressed because can, we can sort of get caught up in, in their occupation and what they were doing and think that there was an issue there. There was nothing wrong with either life path. Both were important. Both were necessary. Both of them held equal opportunity to be God-honoring work. Time goes on, and, and both Cain and Abel, they come to God with an offering. Cain brought some fruit of the ground, and Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat. Now, in layman's terms, Cain showed up with a fruit salad, and Abel showed up with some lamb chops. Uh, and 
God was not a vegetarian that day, so he accepted Abel's and he rejected Cain's. Now, anytime you read this story, the immediate question that comes to mind is what? Why did God reject Cain's offering? It's like the, the whole big question in this story. The natural train of thought meat might be, well, meat is king, right? I mean, meat is the best, which we all know to be true. I think it's natural to assume that the issue is what they brought, is what Cain brought in. And I, I read some good arguments this week about Cain's offering lacking blood and that being an issue, and that very, very well may be the case. It may have been a part of the issue, but the only problem is Scripture doesn't tell us that that was the issue. We also know that in Leviticus, God commands and accepts grain offerings. So a point comes in time where God's like, okay, the fruit of the ground, the grain offerings, this is good, this is okay, I'll accept it. So here's what the text does tell us. Abel gave his first and he gave his best. And Cain gave something. And that's the difference. Abel gave his first and his best and Cain gave something. Hebrews chapter 11, the famous Hall of Faith passage, it tells us exactly why Abel was accepted. Hebrews 11 verse 4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. I, I don't think the difference was the meat versus the fruit. The difference was faithfulness versus unfaithfulness. And the text illuminates for us what some of those distinctions were. It's important we, we remember who Cain and Abel's parents were. Who were they? Adam and Eve, not insignificant people. Uh, the first people of God's creation, the best of God's creation. They walked with God in the cool of the morning. They spoke with God. And when they sinned, they were confronted head-on by God himself. And they were punished by God himself. They were also shown mercy by God. They saw God spill the blood of an animal to cover their nakedness, and he showed them grace. No one has ever had a relationship with God ever like Adam and Eve has had. It was significant. It was unique. And if you were Adam and Eve, would you keep that experience a secret from your sons? No. You would tell your two sons, hey, we walked with God in the cool of the morning. We heard his voice and when we failed, he still showed us grace and mercy because he is good. He still showed us grace and mercy. And they would have told God's character that he's good and that he's loving and he provided for us and he's providing for us now. And Cain and Abel, through the testimony of their parents, through the presence of God in their own lives, through provision and grace and mercy that they would have experienced, they had every resource they needed to have true and proper faith in God as their Lord. There were no excuses for them. And Abel trusted God. He had faith. And Cain did not trust God. He didn't have faith. Abel trusted God to the point where he gave his first and he gave his best. Abel, he saw God's goodness. He saw his mercy. He saw his love. He saw his holiness. And in faith, he gave an acceptable offering to God. You see, there was, there was risk in what Abel gave. There was a risk in his offering. He gave the firstborn of his flock. He didn't let, like, a bunch of animals be born and let his inventory build up and make account for everything, then take away what he felt comfortable with. 
He decided with a faithful heart before anything, before I get anything, before I build this up for anything for myself, before anything, I'm giving an offering to God because he deserves my first and he's worthy of my best. And Abel trusted that losing his first and his best was worth any risk because God would be honored, God would be glorified, and because he trusted God to provide for his needs created out of what he offered. In verse 3, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. Cain didn't give his first. He didn't give his best. He simply gave some. And in Cain's mindset, in his heart, he felt that was enough. He didn't run out to the farm at the first sign of fruit. He let it all grow. He let the, the, the produce come. He let the crop grow up. He made sure that he had inventory. And then he took from that inventory what he felt comfortable with, and he gave it as an offering to God. And this is why I think the issue isn't that Cain gave fruit instead of meat. Cain may not have even had any access to meat uh, like Abel the shepherd had. We don't know. We know he was a farmer. We know that God is good and just, and God has never shown any character to suggest that he would have expected Cain to make like a brisket appear out of thin air. When he had no access to a cow, that's, that's not how God works. He doesn't, he's not looking for magic tricks. We all have what we have. That's all we got is what we have to work with. We know in Mark 12, Jesus, he watches rich person after rich person drop like fat stacks of cash into the offering plate. And then a poor widow comes and she puts in two small coins. And Jesus says that this poor widow with her two small coins has given more than all the others. Because they all gave out of their surplus. They built up an inventory. And then they said, I'm comfortable with that, and put it in. And she gave everything that she had. God has never shown himself to be concerned with what the offering actually looked like, with how much or with how little, unless it was a situation where he specifically asked for something. God has always shown himself to be concerned with the faith behind the heart of what is given. And Abel's heart showed faith in how he gave, and Cain's heart didn't. J.D. Greer, he's the pastor of the Summit Church in Raleigh. He's the former Southern Baptist Convention president. Uh, I was reading something he had written on this passage uh, this week, and he wrote on this passage and argued, most people aren't going to think of themselves as financially selfish. And I think that's probably true. If we all sort of evaluated ourselves right now, I think we often like to think, think of ourselves as more financially generous than we probably are. And what he argues is really to evaluate ourselves because people are generally one of two things. They're either spenders or they're savers. And the spenders find significance in what they have. And then he says that the savers find trust in what they have. And both are a problem. If your income in this world, if it brings you significance in this life, this short, short life, if you find significance in it, then we've allowed income to remove God from the throne in our hearts. And if money is our trust, then we've allowed that trust in money to remove God from the throne in our lives. If, if money is the significance or the trust, we will hold back in what we offer to God because we're going to want to keep something for ourselves because it's our significance, or we're, we're going to want to keep something for ourselves because it's our trust. And in doing so, we will offer him faithless acts of worship. Now, I, I talk about this 
like it's easy. This is really hard. Like, can, can we agree like, that this is really hard uh, to do this because our flesh likes things. Like, we just we want to feel comfortable. We want to know that we're going to be okay. This is hard. And I think it's okay that we're honest that it's hard. You know, we're in, we're in Christmas season now. There's more expenses, more monthly expenses. There's holiday traveling everyone has coming up. Then there's hundreds of presents you have to buy for your kids, your family, your spouse's family. I think that might be why Paul uh, said it's better to not marry. Because as soon as you get married, <laughs> the amount of presents you have to buy, like, quadruples. Uh, and and it, it's, I'm speaking for myself. It would be an easy time of year to hold back. It would be an easy time of year to be faithless. I remember a few years ago, we had a water heater bus. We had to get the water heater replaced. $2,700 for a new one. And I remember so vividly that month, the temptation to not give. It, it may have been the greatest I've ever felt. I'm sure everyone in this room has experienced that. You have something unforeseen happen, and you're like, Mom, I, I'm just, this is more important, right? That temptation was strong. The temptation to hold back was real. The temptation to not take my first and to not take my best, it was real. And I often find my flesh telling me there's nothing wrong with holding back this time. It's a little bit tight. There's nothing wrong with holding back. Just do it. It's good. Make sure you're taken care of first. Make sure that you're comfortable. Check off these boxes first. Then give what you're able to give. There will never come a point in life where we can't find an excuse to kick God off the throne, ever. There will always be a reason that we can find to kick him off the throne. There will always be some problem, some reason, something that can lead us to go, God isn't worthy of my best this time. And everyone in this room could think of that reason right now, but the reality is six months from now, that reason likely won't even matter because there'll be a new reason that you could think of. It's always going to be there. And if our heart is centered on the reasons, the result will always be faithlessness. But if we fix our hearts on Jesus, on his mercy, on his goodness, on his love, the only possible result is faithfulness. This passage, it, it really leaves a lot of guessing room about what actually happened. There's a lot of missing detail. Where did Cain and Abel bring this offering? Like, how did they know where to go? What conditions had God given them, if any at all, for this offering? And we have to work with what we have and how the rest of Scripture can contribute. We know that a sacrifice or an offering, it is an act of worship. Cain showed up for worship. He made himself present for it. He also prepared something for worship from his crop. He made sure that he showed up, and he made sure that he wasn't empty-handed. He looked the part. He checked off all the boxes. He was there. He had an offering. Every external piece of the puzzle was met. But his heart was far from God. Do you, do you see where I'm going with this? It's possible that we show up for worship with an unfaithful heart. It's possible that we dropped an offering in the plate this morning with an unfaithful heart. It's possible that we serve the church with an unfaithful heart. Now, I preach to our youth all the time, you need to be in church. I probably tell them this every week. You need to be in church. Scripture commands you to be in church. It's good for you. Make sure you're here. 
I tell them this all the time, but what this story this morning is reminding me, and, and I need to remind them, God's not pleased with just checking boxes. He's pleased with faithfulness. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, Now without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Making yourself present for worship, giving, serving, those acts of worship to the Lord, they mean nothing for your relationship with the Lord if it's not done in faith. It means nothing if you're doing those things apart from faith. You're just checking off boxes. And that's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus, I mean, that Jordan just preached through. Uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 7, that whole sermon, the whole point of that sermon is that you can shine up the outward all you want, but evil begins in the heart. And that's not something you yourself have the power to shine up. Lust begins in the heart. Murder begins in the heart. Hypocritical judgment of others happens in your heart. Giving should be done in secret. Praying should be done in secret. That whole sermon, Jesus is turning that entire religious system they had on its head. Because if what Jesus and Scripture says about the heart is true, you can look the part your entire life and stand before him in the end and hear the words, depart from me, you evildoer. Because we can't earn the kingdom of heaven. It's been earned for us. And I know that we sometimes hear that and we go, yeah, of course, Jesus paid it all. But so often we go into our week and we go, I need to read my Bible. Not really because I want to, but because I think God might be mad at me if I don't. Not really because I, I want to grow closer to Christ, but because I think like, he might be a little bit upset with me if I don't check off this box. Or I need to bring an offering check this week, not because I want to joyfully contribute to the kingdom and honor God, but because it's what we do and we just do it every month. It's almost like a bill at this point. So let's get this bill over with, and I don't want God to get mad at me. I got asked to help this Sunday with this specific area, and I'm really busy, but I'll let the church down if I tell them I can't. And it's good to help and serve, so I'll do it even though I'm probably going to regret it later, and I won't be joyful doing it, and I don't want God to get mad at me. You see where I'm going? I, I, I could be wrong in how I look at this passage with a vaguely detailed passage like this, but I don't think God looks at someone who shows up for worship like, yes, they made it. They did gripe all morning about coming, and the whole drive here, their heart wasn't preparing for this time of worship, and they aren't even listening to my word being taught right now, but they're in the pew, so I'm pleased. I don't think God's like, whoa, that was a fat check they dropped in the offering plate. That's awesome. They were pretty reluctant about it, and they kind of wish they could take it back and keep it for themselves, but they still did it. That's not faithful worship. And there's a reason Scripture, it, it doesn't have clear and detailed specifications of exactly how we are to worship, of exactly how we are to pray, of exactly how we are to give and serve. I think about the, the Muslim faith. I was thinking about this this morning. They're prescribed to pray five times a day. At dawn, at noon, at mid-afternoon, at sunset, and at evening. They have prayers that they recite. They have uh, physical bodily positions that they're supposed to be in when they pray. They have specific directions for the direction towards the sun that they're supposed to face. All it takes is a flat tire, and you might miss prayer time, and God's not pleased. 
That, that's, there, there's no freedom there. How is there true joy in the Lord? God tells us in the New Testament, live a life postured in prayer. And that could look different for every single person in this room. God tells us to give. And he doesn't say give this percent of your income, give this much. He says in 2 Corinthians, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's freedom. That is freedom in Christ to make a decision and to do it faithfully. God does not prescribe for us how many hours we need to serve the church in a month. Peter tells us, as each one of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That's freedom. And those freedoms give us the opportunities to be truly and genuinely faithful. We, ha we have the freedom to come here on Sunday morning knowing God's not looking for perfection or being put together. He is simply looking for faithful hearts. And we can show up here in absolute mess and still be confident that we can come to God with a faithful attitude going, Lord, life is like nuts and insane right now. I barely know that it's Sunday. The only reason I do is because I'm in church and there's other people here. But I don't want to be distracted by all that's going on in my life right now. I, I want this morning to be about honoring you. I want you alone to be glorified. I want to hear your word and I want to learn and grow closer to you and become more like Christ. There's freedom to do that because God's not expecting perfect robots to be a part of his kingdom. He's just looking for faithful hearts. My God, times are tight right now. I've, I've got bills on bills on bills, and I don't know how we can make it to the end of the year. But before I worry about any of that, I want to give, you, give to you first because you are worthy. And I'm happy to be able to take part in kingdom work in this way. And I trust that you're going to provide for my needs. And that is the attitude that Abel showed up with, with the best that he could offer God, not focused on himself, but on giving glory to God who was worthy of that glory. And it pleased God. There's another layer to this story that I don't think is insignificant. And it's important that we remember that characters in the stories of the Bible, they're human just like us. If you're like me, it might be easy to read these stories and, and think of them as just stories. Like, like, it's just a story. Like, this is a storybook that we're reading. Or maybe think of these people as sort of like superhumans or a little bit different than the rest of us. They are human just like us. They were sinful. They had emotions. Their emotions got the best of them often. They were scared. They were weak. They held grudges. Uh, sin developed in time in their hearts. They, they were like us. They were human, like everyone in this room. And I think it's important to understand that the stories in the Bible, uh, like we're dealing with humans. When we look at Cain, who's dealing with jealousy, is that something that we can all relate to? Yeah, like if I were to ask you guys, put your hand up if you've never been jealous. There's no hands in the room. Like everyone in this room has been jealous. And something that I think is important, if you've been jealous, is that it's something that grows over time, right? Like if you don't address it, it's gonna grow, it's gonna fester, uh, it, it's gonna consume your heart and lead to bitterness, and that's gonna lead to grudge holding, and that's gonna lead to anger, and then someone gets hurt. That doesn't typically happen overnight. I don't think Cain got jealous this one time at Abel and then decided to kill him in an act of rage. 
This, this was a premeditated murder. He tells Abel, let's go out to the field for a bit. They go out to the field, all the while Cain's knowing what he's planned to do, and then he does what he planned to do. We don't have all the details, but I don't think it's a stretch to assume that Cain had issues with Abel before this story. For some time before this, he had to have. And when jealousy rules our hearts, it turns to bitterness and resentment, grudge-holding, anger, and then you act out in your anger. And that's why God tells Cain, he says, be care, man, like be careful, like take care with what you're doing right now because sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to rule over you. God, he talks about sin like it's a person, like it has a mind that has a desire. And Cain gets to this point where he can't handle the fact that Abel's offering was accepted and his wasn't, and the jealousy burns within him. Scripture says that he was furious. He was furious in jealousy because Abel was accepted and he wasn't. And it led him to take the life of his own brother. And what does God tell Cain? He says, hey, like, you're mad, but listen, if you do what is right, you will be accepted. And Cain hadn't done what is right. And I think this plays a serious part in Cain's offering being rejected. God's not dumb. God is not unaware. He is omnipotent. He knows all things. He knows the heart of man. He knows what's festering in Cain's heart towards his brother, and that would soon come to pass. How could God accept a jealous and faithless and held back offering from Cain? How could he accept that? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, if you have an issue with a brother, don't even come near the altar with an offering. You go deal with your brother first, then be reconciled. That's an important part of the piece here. Be reconciled, and then your heart will be fit to bring an offering. We cannot faithfully worship God while our hearts are marinating on an issue that we have with a brother or sister. And I think it's easy to sort of hear that and to come to the conclusion, oh, well, that's not me. Like, I'm not really guilty of that. That's, that's not been a problem in my life. I think we're being disingenuous with ourselves if we tell us that because jealousy, grudge-holding anger, it starts out as this tiny seed, and then it grows and it grows and it grows, and before you know it, you have a problem. There's a million different ways this issue could be playing out in your life right now. But if there's a problem, it needs to be dealt with. How can we offer honoring worship to God who is gracious, who is loving and forgiving, while the whole time hanging on to jealousy in our hearts for someone else because of what they have and what you don't, or holding on to anger towards someone because of whatever reason you think it is that they wronged you? And I'm not saying that like you weren't wronged and the wrong you experienced wasn't unjust and insignificant, but... Jesus says forgive 70 times 7 because you are forgiven like a trillion times a trillion. His, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, it is never ending, never ceasing, ever. It is always there because of the blood that he shed for us. And so when Jesus says like, what business do you have holding a grudge towards someone? When you are the greater offender to me and I've forgiven you in love. Abel suffered a great injustice that day. This was the first murder, the first time a human had ever shed another human's blood, 
And God tells Cain that Abel's blood cried out from the ground because of the injustice. God also tells us in Hebrews 11 that the faith of Abel still speaks to us today. That there's still something we can learn from the faith of Abel thousands of years later, even though he is dead. He gave his best, he gave his first, and his heart wanted to honor God. And that's what God's asking of us. The blood of Abel that spilt on the ground that day, some 4,000 years later, God himself, as Jesus Christ our Lord, was murdered, like Abel was murdered, and his blood was spilt onto the ground, and not without purpose. The blood of our Lord brings justice to what happened to Abel that day. The blood of Jesus brings salvation to Abel, not because of some grand thing that Abel did in his own work, but because what Abel did was faithful, and the faith in his heart led him to make this decision. The thing that separates Christianity from every other religion is that our Lord became like us. He shares in our weaknesses. He understands them firsthand. He has compassion for us. Abel was hated by Cain. Do you know who knows that experience to be hated? Christ. Jesus knows that experience. Abel was murdered. Jesus knows that experience. Whatever weakness you are facing today, I promise you that Jesus knows it and he cares. If you are grieving for whatever reason, Jesus knows grief. If you are physically hurting any kind of pain at all, Jesus knows physical pain. If you're sad over the loss of a loved one, Jesus wept over his friend Lazarus. He left his throne in heaven. He gave up whatever form he had before coming here, whatever that looked like, he gave it up forever and he became like us, and he took on a frail body like us, and then he shared in our weakness so that we could be confident we serve a God who cares for us. And all that time, he knew no sin. Jesus wants us to be saved. If he didn't, he wouldn't have done all the work possible for us to be saved. And he wouldn't open his arms saying, come to me in faith and be free from the burdens of sin. The only place where we can be free from the burdens of sin is in the arms of Christ. And he promises anyone who comes in faith, they will be accepted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we're grateful for your word this morning. Thank you for what we can learn from this passage. Lord, I pray that you would help us to check all of our hearts this morning, that we are coming to you with genuine faithful worship. If we have distractions in our minds right now, uh, as we're going to sing one last song together, I pray that you would point our hearts towards you and towards the cross of Christ and all that you've done for us. I pray that with this last song, everyone in this room would honor and glorify you with faithful worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.